0: Our guest speaker today is a longtime friend of TLCC and someone who has been a part of this journey now for many of our years. Pastor Michael Durso pastors the Great Christ Tabernacle in Queens, New York. It is a multi-campus church with thousands and thousands of people. And um, he he, uh, founded that church, he and his wife Maria, who's a great friend of ours as well, and uh, he's led it to great success. How many years now, Pastor Durso? 35 years he's been lead pastor of Christ Tabernacle. And um, he's been on our presbytery board, which are some uh, uh, pastors external to our church who are are elders and who have uh, been a great support system for me for many years and when needed for our board and elders who are internal to our local church. And um, Pastor Michael has been a, 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 he he is an elder of mine. He he is a mentor of mine. He's someone that I look up to. We all need people who we are smart enough to know, are further ahead than we are, and who can help us get where we need to go. And Pastor Michael Durso has been one of those people for me. Now, when I introduce him, I just, I should have said this at nine o'clock. I'm gonna be frank with you and say, the nine o'clock crowd, was, uh, was uh, you know, let's just be frank, frank. This kind of weather, I don't understand why, but it affects things. And the nine o'clock crowd was pretty sparse. But not only that, God bless them, I love all three of them who were here. They, <laughs> they, they were really quiet. Now when you preach at Christ's tabernacle, I've had people, I've had the privilege to preach, you know, all over the country and a lot of places in the world. Uh, by the way, I'm, I, I know that, that I wasn't here the last two weeks. I had the privilege to preach to many thousands of people the last two weeks in Phoenix and Houston in two really great churches, uh, some of the larger churches in this country. But when people ask me, where's my favorite place in the world to preach, except for TLCC, of course on certain days, um, like Christmas Eve, I think, Uh, (laughs) where I'm kidding, Sharon. They know I'm kidding. They don't take me seriously when I say that. I'd rather preach here than any place. Believe it or not, I'm going to preach here next Sunday morning, and I can't hardly wait. All right. But anyway, thank you, I needed that. my favorite place to preach except for TLCC without a doubt is Christ Tabernacle because it's packed out every service. I think last time I was there I preached four services on one Sunday, four or five, four, five ser- four services on one Sunday. It's packed out every service and they are rambunctious, loud, manners. they clap, they laugh at your jokes. It's amazing, it blows my mind. It's like I tell a joke there and they laugh. I talk about being bald, they think it's funny. Uh, You guys have probably heard me do that before. Here's the point, let him know while he's up here how much you, I know that our style is, we're taking notes and we're learning, but every once in a while say amen, laugh, even if he tries to be funny, and right now give him a fantastic TLCC welcome. Thank you, you may be seated. That was so well scripted, you did
1: that great for the recording. I love your church, I love your pastors, I truly do. And I consider it a privilege to know the Smiths and their family and to work alongside, whether it's Jersey or New York. Um, And uh, you guys are really blessed. I'm so proud of what you've been able to do do here, a real lighthouse. And uh, I read that the the number 28 is symbolic or is is connected with leadership and team. And that's what this church demonstrates. That's what you showcase, leadership and team. Let me begin this way, because this is the last service, so, and we're not going anywhere, Uh, it's raining. So, (laughs) I heard this interesting story about a son and a dad having a conversation, and the son just got his license. He went through driver's ed, and he was anxious to use the family car because it was sitting in the driveway all week long, and dad would go to work, take the train, and so he went to his dad and said, "Hey, you think maybe I could use the car during the week while you're at work? And so, the dad was a little, not trouble, but a little concerned. He was new driving and so he wanted to give him some margin. So he said, well, look, why don't we do this, son? Um, there's some things I noticed in your life that I'd like you to elevate. And then, you know, if that works, then maybe we can consider giving you the car. So the son said, fine, well, what is that? He said, well, I noticed you don't spend any time with the Bible and you don't spend any time in prayer. And it would really help me if I would see you just spend some time. I mean, I noticed you're busy, but..." I'd like to notice you spending some time with the Lord. So the son said, yeah, no problem, Dad, I could do that. So the father said, well, another thing is I noticed your grades are really just, they plateaued. I mean, you're going into college, you think maybe you can elevate your grades so that you can you know, get some better scores. And so the son said, yeah, that's not a problem, I'll do that. So the father said, well, I, one more thing I noticed, like your hair's a mess I and mean, it's long and straggly and it would really help me and mom if you you know, get a haircut or do something with it. Son said, no problem dad, I'll take care of it. So the father said, okay, look, how about we meet in about six weeks and we'll regroup and see how we're going. Son said, fine. Six weeks up, dad meets the son down in the kitchen and he begins the conversation with son, I am so proud of you. I noticed in the morning you're at a quiet time, you're reading your Bible. That really helps me, that really settles me. The uh, son says, yeah, fine, now, I said I would. And, and the father said, well, I also noticed your grades have gone up, and that's great, I really appreciate that. I see that you're trying. And the son said, well, you got it, Dad, you asked me. So the father said, well, you know, son, I, I noticed you haven't really done anything with your hair, still long and straggly, and uh, what about that? So the son said, well, I noticed when I'm reading the Bible that there are people, men in the Bible, that seem to have long hair, Uh, It's possible that Moses had long hair. We know Samson had long hair. I noticed that Jesus most likely had long hair. So the father thought about that for a while and said, have you noticed they all walked? (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Um, I want to talk to you about finishing well. And uh, uh, it's been said that whenever you read something in the scriptures, and it's mentioned more than once, you need to think twice about what it said. And the word remember or remembering or remembrance is mentioned over 300 times. So obviously the scriptures want us to recall things. I I think the most famous is of course when Jesus gave us the communion and he said, remember me this way, which is interesting because he didn't tell us to remember his birthday. He told us to remember his death. And um, Peter, one of his apostles um, wrote two letters to the church. And I wanna read from the second letter, the first chapter. And in that first nine verses, he tells the church, remember they didn't have Bibles or iPhones like us. They, The, the, the minister, the preacher, the elder would get up and read the letter to the church. And within the letter, and this was to Christians, in his first nine verses, he talked about being intentional about growth you got to be deliberate about growth. Growth is not automatic. Decay is automatic. Growth is got you got to be intentional. He mentions in those first 9 verses that God has given everything we need to live a godly life. And then he also mentions that God has given his great and precious promises which at my count I think there's about 7000 promises in scripture. That's 2nd Peter. That's how it opens up with the first 9 verses. Beginning with verse 10. It reads like this, new living. So dear brothers and sisters, now remember these are Christians. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard or work diligently, be deliberate, be intentional to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Verse 11, then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's referring to that passage in Matthew 25 when we get that well done, good and faithful servant. Verse 12. Therefore, notice, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them." There's no new revelation here. There's no new teaching here. He's reminding them of things they already know, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. And it's only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live, for our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So. I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. There's only three chapters in this second letter. In fact, when you get to the third chapter, the very first verse, the apostle Peter says, I wrote both letters to remind you. More concerned about reminding the saints than giving them something new, and that seemed to be the same concern. Uh, the apostle Paul had, because when he wrote to Timothy his letter uh, in 2 Timothy, which most commentators believe it was his last letter from a prison in Rome, he writes in the second chapter, the 14th verse, keep reminding them. Keep reminding them the things that I taught you and that you have taught the people. Keep reminding them. Now what's interesting is most believe that Timothy was the pastor in Ephesus, and uh, even though uh, Paul told him to keep reminding them, something must have happened, because 30 years later Jesus has to give John a letter to bring to the church at Ephesus and tell them, you've forsaken your first love, you forgot, you didn't remember who you're supposed to put first. So why am I saying all this? Because I want us, I want us to finish well. And we may know that, yeah, we take that for granted or we say amen and you agree, but it's not enough to agree. It's not enough to say amen. We have to be intentional we have to make sure we're delivered about doing whatever we got to do to finish well keeping the end in mind and for instance in the last two years beginning in october 2017 without mentioning any names literally there has been a host unprecedented amount of people who are gifted talented have resources started out well started out great had no intentions of failing but did not finish well No names, but listen to some of these. Artistic geniuses, celebrity chefs, CEOs, journalists, elected officials, excuse me, athletes, doctors, coaches, educators, scholars, uh, music conductors, celebs, both male and female, church leaders, pastors, youth pastors, orphanages, rabbis, all not living with the end in mind. Started out well, had good intentions, but went to the left or made a turn somewhere they shouldn't, in my opinion, I think it boiled down to three things. Greed, lust, or pride. Greed, lust, or pride. And as a result of making those foolish choices and not keeping the end in mind, they brought such havoc into their lives. They brought havoc into their families' lives. They brought havoc into the legacy that they should have left behind. They ruined careers, they ruined families, they ruined marriages, they ruined lives, all because they did not keep the end in mind. They started out well, and starting out well is important, but finishing well is more important. And Jesus is our example because he started out well being born in a a barn in Bethlehem, but he finished well on Calvary. In fact, his last words in John 19.30 is, it is finished. He's our example, it's, he was going all the way, he was all in for what God has called him to do. Rabbi Zechariah said this, beginning well is a momentary thing, finishing well is a lifelong thing. You and I have to be intentional about finishing well. Solomon, second only to Jesus when it comes to wisdom, writes in Ecclesiastes 7, 8, better is the end of a thing than the beginning. Better is the end of, of a thing than the beginning. Our faithfulness to Christ must be a lifetime faithfulness. When it comes to our lives, our ministries, our families, our church, it's, our value is evident when we finish well. After all, no one starts a book like Hospitality Leader and only goes halfway. You want the whole book. You want to read it all to get everything from it. You want to finish it. Same with our lives. According to Dallas Theological Seminary, they said recently that two-thirds of the leaders in the scriptures did not finish well. That's 70%. Now, I'm not saying they didn't get to heaven. I'm not saying they went to hell. I'm just saying they didn't, they, they left with a blemish in their life. And for the most part, people remember the blemish, unfortunately, more than the things that we've done that had value. And without a strong ending, we, we lessen the value of our lives. The, the things that we said, our testimony, our example, we, we just tarnish that. I want to remind you, the Apostle Paul, he writes his last letter, most commentators believe, from a prison in Rome to Timothy. And in the fourth chapter, he writes this, I fought the good fight, verse 7. I fought the good fight. Why such military words? Because I'm sure you all realize to live a, a Christian life, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a believer of the faith, there's a battle going on. Now, it's not so much a physical battle, but you have an invisible enemy, his name is Satan, and he wants to take you out. He wants to take all of us out. He doesn't want to see this church do another 28 years. He doesn't want to see your marriage continue. He doesn't want to see you keep a life of purity. He, he don't care about our tears or our promises. He just wants to destroy us. And the apostle Paul realized, I've fought a good fight. There's a fight out there. That's why in Ephesians 6, you got to put on the full armor of God every single day, every day. Because there's a war going on. He said, after I fought the good fight, he said this, I finished the course. In other words, God assigned me a course. He gave me a task. Different than anyone else. But what he gave me is what God felt I was capable of doing, and I finished it. And thirdly, he said, I kept the faith. And the, and the sense behind that is that there's someone out there that wants to steal, rob, and destroy our faith. The picture of it is a sentry guarding his post. Regardless of the weather, he's standing his post. He I've kept the faith, because there's a great potential of of the enemy of our soul wanting to destroy it. The apostle Paul kept the end in mind. He, He understood his purpose, he understood his calling. That's why the classes here are so important, so important to help us realize the giftings that God has put in us and what we're supposed to do for the kingdom. And it's just as important as Sunday is, it's just not for Sunday meetings. It's for the whole week long. The Apostle Paul encouraged the elders in the book of Acts, the 20th chapter, the elders at Ephesus, when he gathered them around, he knew he wouldn't see them anymore, and he said to them, you you know how I lived. You know how I lived. Which is interesting, because he could have said, you know how many churches I planted? You know how many letters I wrote? You know how many miracles I, I, I worked? Remember the time I took handkerchiefs? People bought the handkerchiefs, and I prayed on them, and they took them home to their family, and their family was healed. could have said that. He didn't say that. He says, you know how I lived among you. My brothers and sisters, saints of God, what we do out those doors, how we live, out the, how we live in our home, how we live on the job, how we live in our neighborhood, speaks volumes. And I just don't want us to start off well. I want us to finish well. And he went through stuff. We all go through stuff. You live in the Garden State. I live in Brooklyn and Queens. I love it. I've been there all my life. You got a parking lot. I hate you for that. 400 cars passed the, people ask us, do we have a parking lot? We say, no, we pray our car is still out there when we get out there. No, that's a parking lot. So we all go through stuff and we have issues. And and listen, I don't wanna make light of any, any crises that maybe some of you are facing. But our God is able, and He's able to take us through, and He says that we're more than conquerors. And just listen to some of the things. Yeah, come on, if we're gonna clap for the Lord, let's clap for the Lord. Second, Second Corinthians, the 11th chapter, just, Uh, seven verses listen to some of the stuff he went through the Apostle Paul he says I've worked hard I've been flogged I faced death multiple times five times received 40 lashes minus one three times beaten with rods one stone three times shipwreck a night and a day in the open sea constantly on the move harassed by the Jews in danger of false brethren gone without sleep been hungry been thirsty gone without food been cold been naked dealing with the churches and all this is before Acts 27 where he spent 14 days in a storm at sea and then ended up having to jump ship he went through stuff and I believe the reason why the Bible wrote that there is because we all go through stuff we get beaten down sometimes we get robbed we get treated unjustly we get unfairly we got to go through stuff but our God is able and he fought and he finished and he kept and he didn't take finishing well for granted And he struggled just like all of us struggled. He writes to Timothy, who was like a a son to him. He writes to him in his first letter, 1 Timothy 1.15. And about his past, he said, when it it comes to people as sinners, I was the worst. He admitted, I I was the worst. If you know anything about the apostle Paul's life before he became the apostle, man, he took people to prison. He wrecked families. He dragged them off and imprisoned them. Some of them died. And then he Uh, tells uh, to the church at Rome in the seventh chapter he writes about his present he says I've desired to do what is good but I I cannot carry it out and when I want to want to do good evil is right there with me we've all experienced that you want to set time aside to pray or to witness to somebody or to bless someone and for some reason all the struggle goes on inside you But he understood the remedy he understood the uh, what can get us over that challenge and that's in the same chapter verses 24 to 25 he said but who will rescue me from this body of death thanks be to god through jesus christ our lord and savior he is our redeemer he is the one that we look to whenever we go through anything however in spite of his struggles or our struggles in spite of being hassled by the churches and the jews and false brethren the gospel of jesus christ compelled them to go on He had the end in mind, he longed to see his Jesus. He wanted to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I I personally think uh, that his life verse was Galatians 2, 20. It reads like this, I have been crucified with Christ. Whenever you give your life to Christ, you've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me." He remembered where God took him, and he knew that there was so much grace on his life that he had to live for Jesus. And I think if all of us would take some time and remember what we, where we were before he called us, or if they put on this screen my past sins, I'd be embarrassed, but you, you would understand why I'm so excited about my Jesus from where he took me. Um, the Apostle Paul, uh, was an excellent example of, of someone just not taking for granted, finishing well. However, sometimes we can be surrounded by some amazing people. and We think that just being around them, as important as that, must, that might be, that we're, we're exempt from finishing well, and that's not true. And my example will be the Apostle Paul because he had a dream team. He had Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila around him. He had Mark and Luke who wrote the Gospels. Aristarchus and Timothy and Silas. And he had a man named Demas. In fact, he talks about Demas in Colossians 4 and Philemon. But unfortunately, in his last letter again, after he went through the fight and the finish and keeping the course, he has to tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.10 about Demas, because he loved the world, he deserted me. Because he loved the world. Some other translations put it this way. In the Amplified, having loved the pleasures of this present world, he left me. Message translation, chasing fads, he left me. He loved his own life more than Christ, and he left me. Didn't finish well. Well, Pastor Durso, I mean, if he was around such incredible company, what about me? Not by might, not by power, it's by the Spirit. That's why every day, brothers and sisters, saints of God, we need to be filled afresh and anew with the Holy Spirit. D.L. Moody was asked, why do you always talk about uh, the Holy Spirit? He was a great evangelist back in the early 1900s. And he said, because I leak. I leak. In fact, trying to live this Christian life without the Holy Spirit is trying to, it's like breathing without lungs, it's impossible. We need the Holy Spirit infilling every day. And I know you get taught good spiritual disciplines, good fundamentals from this pulpit about spending time with God. You gotta make room for for God. We all have 24 hours, nobody gets 25. (laughs) Nobody gets, we all get 24. It's what we do with that 24. And the teachings that come from this church means you gotta make some room, and we have different responsibilities, I get that. My wife and I are in a great season right now because all our kids are married and out of the house, thank you, Jesus. Um, uh, Yeah, (laughs) other grandparents are clapping here. Um, So our house is quieter and it's a lot less hectic because we don't have to make lunch for the kids to go to school, we don't have to drive them and all that. But, um, But I still have to make room for God. And I have to make sure that uh, I don't allow things to just distract me. I I have to spend time with the Word. I have to let God give me my daily bread for the day. I mean, Jesus, Jesus mirrored that. He would spend time with God. If Jesus had to do it, how much more me? And in ministry, to all those that are involved in ministry, be very careful that you never replace your time in ministry with your time with the Lord. Because we can stay busy like Martha did and miss that time at his feet like Mary did. And the Song of Solomon 1.6 says, they made me keepers of the vineyard, "'but my own vineyard I have not kept.'" Vineyards represent fruitfulness. And sometimes in ministry, we get so caught up worrying about the vineyards or the fruitfulness of other people's lives that we neglect our own. and, and, And we get more in love with the work of the Lord instead of staying in love with the Lord of the work. And it's something that's subtle because we're busy. And the more busy you are, the easier or Unfortunately, the more subtle it is that you just sidestep your time with God because you're busy. Let me remind us that no matter what season of life we're in, we need God as much as we need when we first accepted Him. Research tells us that the mind uh, can make 35,000 choices a day. 35. I'm taking memory supplements, but I forget to take the supplements, so it's not really helping me. So I got to worry about. I don't know if those stats are right, but it says the mind makes 35,000. It can make 35 choices. With all that, if that's even somewhat true, do you realize how important it is for us to have the Holy Spirit in us, afresh and anew? I mean, I know when you accept Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. But God tells us to continually be drunk with the Spirit, to to come before God and ask for fresh infillings so that those choices that we make, parents in the room, grandparents in the room, students in the room, singles in the room, young adults, so those choices we make, those choices are now governed by the Holy Spirit and not our own desires, so that we can complete the task, we can complete the assignment, we can do all the things God wanted us to do, a purpose for us to do on this earth. If it was just to go to heaven, when you accept the Christ, he would have killed you and took you to heaven. But it's not just to get to heaven. That, that's the end result, it's to serve him here. To be an example to point others to jesus so that we can all hear again well done my good and faithful servant which is interesting something's not done unless it's done something's not done unless it's done so we need to complete the task good and faithful i could be good and not faithful i could be faithful and not good all of it needs to be all, all of it has to be part of the equation so allow me to remind you of something else in the in the theme of an arena, in the concept or uh, metaphor of a marathon, the writer of the Hebrews is writing to the Christians who were going through stuff. They were getting persecuted for their faith and their property was being taken. And It wasn't a good, a good, they didn't have the freedom we have in this country to come to church at that time. And so he said to them to get them motivated and to keep them going to finish well, Hebrews 12, 1. He says, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. King, King James says, let's lay aside every weight. Weights are not sins. I don't think we have a problem knowing what sins are, right? I'm pretty convinced our conscience and the Holy Spirit make sure they put a finger on when we do something wrong. But it's those weights that are not really sinful. They're, they're things that we can do Permissible, but they're really not edifying. And uh, it, same passage, Hebrews 12:1 says this in the New Living. It says, let us, again, the onus on us, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And the New Century says this, we should, we should, remove from our lives anything that would get in the way and the sin that so easily holds us back. Again, written to Christians. It's interesting that next week is a marathon, the New York City Marathon, and those runners are going to take anything off them or remove anything from them that's going to hold them back. They're going to wear the lightest nylon tank top, light shorts, light sneakers to do what they got to do. They want no resistance. And that's the imagery that the writer of Hebrews is putting here, to remove anything that will hinder you. or slow you up and sometimes guys like I said it's things that are permissible but sometimes sports or entertainment or binging and streaming and social media those things can keep us from the things of God we don't deny God we just know we're not spending the time we're supposed to to get filled to get that daily manner, because we're caught up in some of these other things and those things can become weights in your race for God to finish well it could be also and this is a personal testimony my wife and I, it could be a relationship that maybe you're involved in. Platonic, maybe not romantic, it might be romantic, and it's, it's holding you back. When my wife and I, in 19, September 1975, um, we were in Mexico at a Club Med, and we weren't married, we were living recklessly, we're in Morrow. we're doing a lot of drugs, and we thought that was, that was being cool. Um, and, um, and, and that was our life. And while we were in Mexico, uh, a man named Tony D'Onofio, who has a great church out in Long Island, Deer Park, he came to this group of friends of ours that were druggies, just like my wife and I, at the time my girlfriend, and came to preach the gospel because he got saved. And he came to these friends. We know Dinofio because we used to sell him drugs. But he gets this radical transformation, comes and preaches to our friends that were in a basement in Brooklyn, and uh, they accept Christ, and they begin to pray for us. And what was interesting is the day that they began to pray for us, it was on a Wednesday, it was in the middle of our vacation. My wife, my girlfriend, Maria, says, uh, when we get back, could we go to church? Because she had this, she tells the story much better, um, but I'm just giving you the the bridge version. Uh, She she says, when we get back, I feel we need to go to church. And to me, that was ridiculous. I I didn't feel I needed church. You know, that was the warpness of my mind, but, we didn't need it. And uh, she said, no, 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 promise me. And I, I said yes, but I really wasn't wanting to. But things, we had still the rest of the vacation to, to go on and she, she wasn't happy anymore with the vacation. She didn't really care about the club med. She didn't care about going to the club that they had there to, to, to dance. Uh, she didn't wanna get high. She didn't wanna drink. In fact, she kind of closed the shop, if you know what I mean. And so look, I, I was gonna say yes to anything just to open the shop, you know? So I said, all right, so we'll go to church. So when we get back, she calls our friends saying, man, you know, I, I had this, this premonition. And then while she's talking, one of her friends, her girlfriend said, we prayed for you, we're born again. And somebody said, well, what does that mean? And so he said, well, we, we accepted Christ. And Would you come to church with us? On? And so we said, yes, on a Sunday night. And I didn't wanna go, but like I, I told you, I hope we'd get back to business. And I had drugs in my pocket and I had plans, we'll go to church, it it was a seven o'clock service. Once it's over, we'll go to the city, go to a club, and end the night right. But unbeknownst to me, that was the night Marie and I would give our lives to to Christ. That was over 40 years ago. And, well, thank you. Which is a good point. God not only saves you, he can keep you. He can keep you. So, and I'm getting to the reason why I'm saying all this. Um, So we we threw out everything. We got married on Monday. I I wouldn't suggest you do it the way we did it. But, you know, we we threw out all the drugs, the clothes, the music, anything that had to do with old life, and we were sold out. And we were grateful to our friends who prayed for us, but they weren't, for some reason, we kind of were struggling with some of the choices they were still making, life choices. And as crazy as Michael and Maria were, we gave everything to God. And we weren't looking back. We weren't gonna get high again. We weren't gonna go to clubs again. We weren't gonna do anything. Our our wardrobe was even changing. Um, And so we had to make a choice. And we had to ask, we had to make a decision that we wouldn't hang with some of our Christian friends anymore. They were a weight. And you know, that was kind of hurtful to them, hurtful to us, because we love these guys. But they were slowing us down. And uh, sometimes it's even a relationship where you gotta say, you know, I gotta, I gotta let this go. Remember, seventy percent of the of the leaders in the Bible did not finish well. Did not finish well. And uh, I want all of us to finish well. They say, uh, and Pastor um, would probably a better person to uh, Pastor Shire would be a better person to vouch for this. But I've been told in marathons uh that usually the midway point is the hardest because your mind tells you you can't go any further i've never run a marathon i've done a 5k i hated it um here's what happened uh compassion international came to our church which we work with great organization sponsor children all around the world um they came to you know get our church to get behind sponsoring children and we did um, but they were also doing a marathon, a five—excuse me, a 5K in Flushing Meadow Park in Queens, and they had donors that say, "If you get your senior pastor to run, um, we'll, we'll match anything that you raise." So you know, our church—they're carnal. They start screaming, "Dur so, Dir so, dur so," and I, I've never run before. I'm not a runner. I'm, I'm a driver. I'm not a runner, you know. Um, but they convinced me to do it. So I, I, I tried to get ready for it, um, but it, it, was, it was bad. It was really bad. I, I was dying. I was looking for oxygen. I was looking for the EMS trucks to come around. They said there were bands, bands there to help you. I never saw them, not once. And, you know, and the people go along, and they're, they're waving you on. You kind of smile, and you're hating every one of them as you're passing by. My wife did come with me, Maria. Um, uh, she, said she, came, she, she got really dressed for the, alpha, for, the, for the event. She put on a brand new running suit. She had new running sneakers. She got, a, uh, she got her nails done. She got her toes done. I don't know why she got her toes done. She had sneakers on, but she got her toes. She had a makeup done. She had her hair done. She looked amazing. She didn't run. She just looked amazing. And she came to encourage me. And she said, I'll, I'll meet you at the finish line. And that's what kept me going because she, Maria, was gonna be at the finish line. My brothers and sisters, don't you know Jesus is waiting at the finish line for every single one of you to finish so that he can say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. I am so grateful for the 28 years for this church and all of you that have been involved, but God may tarry another 28 years, or 58 years, or whatever it might be. I want us all to hear well done. I want us all to get that crown of life that God wants to give us, regardless of the course or task or assignment he's given us. One last story about a marathon, about finishing well. Summer Olympics, 1968, Mexico City, 26.2 miles. John Aquari, number 36 from Tanzania, is with all the runners. And as you know, as most marathons, they start off in an arena, and the gun went off, and the The runners took off, and they went once around the arena and then out throughout uh, Mexico City for about 26 miles. Somewhere around the 15-mile mark, um, there was a collision. And John Aquari was in that collision. And in that collision, he fell down, hit his head, his shoulder, and his knee all on his right side. His knee really bad. It was bleeding. They gave him a handkerchief to tie around his knee. Uh, to stop the bleeding, but he was really pretty bad. And they had in this marathon uh, these white jeeps with a red cross on the side. That if you got hurt, or if you're just going to continue, they would come and uh, pick you up and take you back to the arena. But of course, you just you were disqualified, right? So uh, they kind of get re- uh, reacclimated. They they kind of get themselves up, and they're just thinking for a moment. And the truck came by, and they said, "John, you want to get in the truck because." You're pretty bad. You gotta get x ray This doesn't look very good. And so John Aquari, number 36 from Tanzania said, no, no, I'm gonna finish. And he said, okay, are you sure? He said, no, no, I'm gonna finish. So John begins to run, but he's not running like he was running early. He's, he's running like this. And uh, he's going. Around the 20 mile mark, that white Jeep with a red cross signal on the, on the side, comes around and says, John, you still got a long way to go. You wanna get in the Jeep, we'll take you back. You gotta get this checked out. John said, no, no, no. Now I'm gonna finish, I'm gonna finish. All right, John. Well, all the runners made it back. A lot of the crowd left. They were interviewing the runners, talking to their families, kind of get the little statements from them all, when uh, all of a sudden, this lone runner comes through the gates limping, and it's John Aquari. Number 36 from Tanzania. And he's, he's coming through. And he makes that final lap around the arena. And he gets to the finish line. And he just leans over and he's breathing. Well, this got the attention of everybody. They start clapping and cheering, and they all go running over, and the, the media goes over with their microphones and their cameras, and they say, John, tell us, you know, why'd you do this? Why, 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 did, why did you stop? I mean, you really banged up a lot, and then no one would have you know, discredited you for, for quitting. Look how messed up you are. And, and, and finally, when John got a moment to speak, he said, my country did not send me 10,000 miles to start a race. My country sent me 10,000 miles to finish a race. TLCC, God did not start you just to start a race. He wants us to finish it and he wants us to finish it well because he's got a lot more work for us to do. Last scripture before we pray. Acts 20, verse 24. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me it's important how we start but it's more important how we finish can i ask all of you to stand please please thank you for your encouragement thank you for your reception but i i want us to stand i'd like you to if you wouldn't mind just close your eyes this is a safe place just bow your heads i don't want you to be distracted by by anybody around you first There's a principle called principle of first. And when it comes to scripture, the first time you see something mentioned, it's usually the purest understanding of that, like when it comes to worship or love or tithing. Well, the first question ever asked in scripture is in Genesis 3. When God asked Adam, Adam, where are you? Well, God knew where Adam was. God wanted Adam to recognize he wasn't where he should have been. Went a little sideways, got away from God. And maybe there's somebody here this afternoon that, in your heart of hearts, you would admit you're not where you should be with God. I mean, you're here. God bless you. You came. You honor God on His Lord's Day, and He, He's going to honor you. But maybe you'd have to say in your heart, God, I'm not where I want to. I'm not where I am. But I want to be where I should be with You. You could do that right now. Just in the quietness this meeting just tell him just tell him it's just you and jesus just gotta i want to be right with you i want to be in a right relationship with you i mean there's no way we can finish well if we're not starting out well and starting out well is giving your life to christ so you do that now take a moment just think about it you don't need a whole lot of words just give him your heart <laughs> just give him your heart now for all of us god i i thank you for this great church, the pastors, and the leadership, and the workers and ministers, the 28 wonderful years. But I pray for all of us, God, that we would not take for granted the initiative of finishing well, that we wouldn't think that it's just automatic, that we would be intentional about doing whatever we have to do so that we can run this waste, removing, removing any waste that would slow us down so that every single one of us can hear that incredible term that you used in Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. And God, we ask this in Jesus' name, and we'll be always careful to give you and you alone all the glory and the honor and all the praise in Jesus' name.